Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Hey, Cobblestone. You doing okay? Welcome. Uh, we're in the book of Job, if you didn't know. Uh, if you want to open a Bible, go to Job chapter 1. Uh, I actually really didn't want to preach this book. Uh, it asked some really hard questions. And one thing I know uh, pastors love to have answers to questions. And when you don't have those answers, it can kind of lead you like, ah, it makes you freak out a little bit. And so I want to welcome you to Cobblestone if you've never been here. Uh, in fact, I want to just put a little like, time out on this message. If you're a family and you have young kids, we're going to talk about some weighty stuff today. Uh, we're going to be talking about like death and cancer and like just hard stuff that hits us. So if you're not ready to have that conversation in the van on the way home, this is like, I'm going to make you have it, so you can either quietly leave here in a second when I pray, or you're going to get really good at apologetics. It's going to be great. Here's what I know. Everybody in here, at some point in their time in their life, is going to suffer. Some of you right now are suffering. Some of you right now have doubt. Some of you right now are asking the age-old human question, why? Why? That's literally, if you boil down most suffering in humanity, it's why. And there are hard questions that we ask, and I think they need to be asked. What happens in Christianity is we create almost an environment where doubt is evil, looked down upon, and you're not allowed to have any. And so what we do is we fake it. We fake it, and we make it impossible to ask good questions to ask really heart level, like, can I trust God even when I don't see good things around me? Can I trust God if my kid gets sick? Can I trust God if, like, cancer happens? Can I trust God at that funeral? And here's one of the things I've, I've known. Like, in the beginning of my ministry here, I hated those environments. Like, I did not like funerals. I don't like hospital rooms. I avoided them, actually. And I was so thankful for John Johnson because he likes to go to those places. But here's the thing I've learned in the last few years. Jesus is in those places. He really is. And so I've come to learn I love. It's a joy. I'm not going to say I love. It's a privilege to weep in hospital rooms with you. It's an honor to weep at a funeral. And you're like, well, what do you mean? I mean, like, sorrow is not anti-God. And we're going to find out today, like Jesus actually, Jesus enters into dark places, like horrible suffering places, and weeps with people. And I want to enjoy, I want to enjoy the Lord, I want to have joy, but I want to learn because life seems to be like almost 100% like certainty, something's going to happen to one of you, or most of you. It's going to be that phone call, that car wreck, that thing that's going to make you go, can I trust God? Is he good? Does he love me? Is he still for me? Is he mad at me? And it's just things, the things that happened to Job are happening now. I was here on Monday. I talked to God very honestly, like, God, I don't want to preach this book. I'll just let Jeremiah do it, um, right? Uh, and really, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions, probably not give you a whole bunch of answers, and then he can answer them next week. Um, just kidding. But I was here and I was like, Lord, why? I don't want to talk about this book. And literally he brought to mind and I took inventory of my neighborhood, my physical neighborhood. On my left of my house, that man's wife just died in hospice. Three houses down, that wife's in a wheelchair with cancer in her spine. Across the street and six houses down, 
that couple just lost their kid. We need this book. Like we need the Word of God to tell us how to deal with these moments because if we don't learn, what we'll do is we'll just walk in doubt and never deal with our heart. And really what I think the challenge, I was praying a lot about this, is to take those most painful moments, those bitter moments, and and really hold them in front of you and come to the Lord. Because what happens in these moments is we start to hear voices that are not God's. We start to hear like shame and guilt and like accusation and even like, he's abandoned you. That's not God. And in our bitterness, because it's hurt and it hurts, we kind of pull back. And some of us in this, we're running away from the only one who can actually heal us. From the only one who actually can understand all that's going on in humanity, we're running away from him. And I just want you to at least acknowledge maybe that that's where you are, if you are, and turn back to God today. Even if it's child loss, cancer, hard stuff. And go, God, I don't understand this. But here's my heart. It's a mess. Anybody else feel like my my heart's a mess sometimes? And God, I just don't, don't even understand how he can do all that he's doing right now. Like, how is he aware of all the prayers of the entire earth? I don't know. How is he working in the midst of suffering, even when it looks like, I don't even know how you could use that, God. And he does. And so I want to invite you this morning not to hide, not to put on that fake grin and go, everything's great when everything's on fire, but to look honestly at this man, Job, uh, and really realize that this is what's coming for most of us in this world. And I think God, I don't think he's like, whoa, that's too dark for me. I think he's good regardless. And so what I'd like to do is, uh, I have an agreement with God. I won't talk about him until I talk with him. And so I want to sit before him and I want to invite you to do the same thing and even maybe start that process of, here's this hard thing, God. Here's this gut-wrenching, makes me doubt you thing. And we're just going to sit before him for a moment. So Jesus, we come to you. You are the living one, the resurrected Christ. And so we come to you, God, as some, some of us feel broken. Some of us feel abandoned. And I ask that you would make this a holy moment right now where you would come in as the great shepherd of our souls and heal. I thank you that you're not afraid of dark places. I thank you that tears don't make you turn away. And so as we look at some of the, some of the Bible, that Lord, it just, it's gut-wrenching. By your spirit, would you produce faith in us, a courage to run to you and not away? So if you're in this room and maybe you have one of those pain points, can you just start putting it before God? And maybe if you're not in, if you're in here and you're like, everything's good, will you just talk to the Lord for a second? Jesus, I love sitting before you. Sometimes that's all I can do. Like I just wait on you. Like I wait on the Lord. Well, I ask that you would be present this morning. Uh, You are the great comforter, healer. You make all things new.
And so in even some hard situations, I know they're in this room. I thank you that you see them. You see the people that are connected to those hard things. And you love them. Would you show them what you think about them? Would you show them, Jesus, that you have not, you've not held your hand back against them, but you want to bless them and free them? And so, Jesus, come do what you want to do. We want you more than we want a good church service. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo, I'm already crying. I love Jesus because when we talk about these situations that some of you have and you will face, what we get convinced is that he doesn't like us, that he's not for us. That somehow God has like held this judgment over my head and the reason I got cancer was because I didn't love God enough. That's not true. And as we look at these situations, I, I know some of you will be like almost mad at me because you'll be like, you're inviting the church to doubt. No, I'm inviting the church to be honest. I prefer honesty. You know what I mean? Like tell me actually what's going on. Tell me, and don't even tell me, tell the Lord what you actually think. Because if you don't ever do that work, what you'll do is you'll start to resent. You'll start to walk in bitterness. You'll, you'll walk in doubt, but say that you're walking in faith. And as we look at Job, man, I don't even know how to come to grips with half the stuff that happens to him because it seems, seems, God's like, here, have fun with Job, Satan. We'll talk about that in a second. So go to Job chapter one. We're going to read one through five. We're going to stop a bunch. But I have a question, and it's kind of a harder one. If God took everything away from you, could you still trust him? And that's a hard question, and I know the Sunday school church kid answer is, blessed be the Lord. I know that. I know the answers, right? But that's what makes me so mad about this topic, is you enter into suffering, and so many people just open up their mouth and say very untrue things. I've been in rooms where people come in and they're like, God gave this to you because you're just so strong. And I'm like, I will punch you. Like, I don't feel strong. I feel real weak right now. This is not fair. I don't like this, right? Or you're at a funeral and they're saying, well, heaven just got another angel. That's not true. You know that, right? They're not angels. They're humans. And so we, we, we get in these environments like, what do I do? And we get uncomfortable. And I love Job because it challenges me to look at something that I think there's a lot of mystery around. Why does good stuff happen to bad people? You can ask that question too. Why does good things happen to bad people and why does bad things happen to good people? Whatever. Job chapter one. There was a man in the land of Uz or Uz whose name was Job or Job if you want. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send an invite there to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, if you just stop right there, right? 
Uh, normally, when you read a book of the Bible, I can tell you when it was written, I can tell you who wrote it, I can tell you a lot of things about it. And the peculiar thing about Job is, scholars don't know where us or us is. They don't know if that's even a real place. They don't know, they can't find it. And then on top of that, they don't even know what period of time Job's from. So they can't tell you it was before this empire. They just were like, there's a guy named Job, and I actually think that's on purpose. Because really, it's not about where he's from or what time he's from. It's about the questions that are being asked. Can we trust God even when it's not good? Can we trust God and how good and faithful he is even when life's kind of hard and suffering is happening? Now, Job, what we do know is in verse 1, Job is a blameless and upright man. In Hebrew, this is just, he's a swell guy. Going so far as to, like, he's making sacrifices for his kids. And for a while, as I was studying this, I was like, that's probably the problem, right? His kids are having ragers. There's something worse, like, they're just getting, getting crazy. Uh, and so then, you know, that's, that's the problem. And so really, he's an upright man, but he's not. But the Bible doesn't even say that. It just says, he's a good guy who shunned evil, even made sacrifices for potential sins in his kids. I mean, even important things like he had 500 female donkeys. Wow, right? I don't, anybody else want to brag? A lot of donkeys at home? I don't know. Guy's wealthy, has sons and daughters, and he loves God. So that's the earthly scene that's being played out for us. And then immediately you're taken in the Bible to this heavenly court, heavenly scene. God is there and the sons of God are there. And there's another being that is there in verse 6 to 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Or Satan, if you prefer. We'll get to that in a second. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and says, does Job fear you, God, for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has in your hand, only against, stretch out all you have, all, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now you're like, what's this whole Satan thing? Now you get into like Jewish literature and poetry. Literally, it reads as Satan. Uh, I think you can really easily say, that's Satan. How do I say that? Well, in the New Testament, we're told that Satan prowls around the earth like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Very similar language. He's also in the Hebrew, that, that name, Satan, is accuser of the brethren. I mean, that's how I take it. And so when we read this, I don't think you need to get into Jewish poetry to understand this is, this is Satan. This isn't, you have to be like, Satan, if you want to, fine. And so this is the moment that kind of boggles my brain. God's in heaven, sons of God. Satan comes up, where you been? I've been walking the earth. And then God, who is God, goes, what do you think about my bro here? See this guy? 
almost just teeing them up. And then Satan says, hmm, you know why he loves you? Because you bless him. Let me take it from him. And so God does. And in my mind, and I don't know how you read the Bible, I'm like, could you have just said no? Like, I'm hoping like if that scene plays out, God's in heaven, sons of God, Satan shows up, and he's like, do you see Andrew? And then I hope God's like, no. You know what I mean? Can you give him a no? But he doesn't. And so what, what proceeds to take place is Satan comes and two things happen. Two forces or outside armies come and destroy his cattle, take off his, his family's tents and all this stuff. And then two, if you're an insurance adjuster, acts of God happen. Fire from heaven and a tornado. All his kids are dead. Only person left is his wife, which could have been from Satan. If you know what I'm saying. Uh, so, just kidding. Um, it's a bad day to be Job. I shouldn't make jokes, but I'm trying to keep it light because we're about to get real heavy. She turns out to be kind of a cranky woman, even challenges him to curse God and die at one point, all right? Now, here's the thing. All his physical stuff goes away, but Job does not curse God. He doesn't blame God. He worships God. And then on top of that, Satan comes back and goes, all right, well, I, that didn't work, but let me, let me touch his body. And so Job gets these like blistery, boily sores that he's now scraping off with pottery shards. It's a bad day to be Job. It's a bad day to be a man on the earth whom Satan has had his way with. And and the question that should kind of resound in you, and I'm really okay, why would God allow this? Why did God let Satan have his way with Job? And here's the thing, I don't have a good answer. But I think you should wrestle with it. And I know you're like, you're supposed to have the answers. And this is the beauty thing, beauty thing, the beautiful thing about faith. There are things in Christianity that I can know. Like 100%, I know them. I've experienced them. I've encountered the living God. Jesus Christ has saved me from the dead. I know that Jesus Christ was a real human figure, historical, real. I know him. I talk to him. I'm with him. He's with me. There's other things I don't understand. I don't understand that right this second, why a bunch of kids in Africa just died. I don't understand why there's so much suffering. I don't understand how the Bible can tell me in Romans 8 that all things work together for good when it doesn't feel too good. But it says it, and I know that he's good, but I don't always feel it. And so what I can do is I can look at this man, Job, and I can go, okay, am I supposed to emulate him or not? Can I be like him? Should I be like him? Do I want to be like him? And in Job chapter 1, verse 20, you see a thing happen, which I don't know if I have the strength to do. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now you can get in, there's so many places we can go with this, but the stuff that you have, who gave it to you? The place that you live, the life that you have, whose is it? And I, yeah, we know those answers, right? We're like, God gave me and put me in the places and the times that I exist. That's Acts, that's the book of Acts. And then at the same time, you'll go, all right, so if he takes everything away from you, can you trust him? 
And some of us, we, we know the answer. We know what we're supposed to say. But then there's these moments where like, I mean, trial hits, trouble hits, the day of just suffering hits. And we're like, can I trust you? And so as I look at Job, there's been several moments in my life that they're not anywhere close. I don't think anybody is on Job level in this room. But I've got cancer phone calls from my dad. There was a moment we put Noah on an air care flight and said, Lord, if you take him, we'll bless you. These are like real life situations where faith meets what life is like sometimes. And so if God is good when the paychecks are coming and I got the, the raise and, oh, I got the kid, isn't God good still when the kid's gone? and I can't see because it's foggy. Isn't he still good? And I know we know the answers. I can tell you scriptures. I've been in rooms with my dad who died of cancer, and I had a man come in, and he said, he won't die. The Lord says so. I went, great. And then I had another man walk in on that man's heels and tell me, live or die, the Lord's will be done. And I was like, get out of my face. So do you see how this can get real muddy real quick? So when we look at suffering, I always want to say God is bigger, better and bigger than we have words for. And there are more things at play than we can even, I can only think if he told us how it was working, we, 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 wouldn't, we would just be like, I can't, I can't do it. Because he's God and we sure as heck aren't. And I've been in these moments where my dad, I'll, I use him as an example because it's, it's, it's real. Uh, so 10 years ago, got the first phone call. Andrew, you need to sit down. I have cancer. It's aggressive. I'm going to die. I went, great. And I started praying. Like just did what the Christians told me to do. Oh, I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray that it goes away. I'm going to pray that it doesn't. Two years till he died, my big, strong, earthly dad, I, I had to carry him physically to the car. I watched him fade. I watched him lose all control. I mean, like mental, like it was sad, Right? And along the way, I'm praying, God, I know you can. And that's the difference. You know what I mean? I know you have the ability to heal him. You are God. Heal him. And then he died. And in that moment, there's all these thoughts of like, and I'll tell you the the hardest one, the one where Satan got me. Satan whispered, not, see, God doesn't love you. I was like, I know God loves me. I'm pretty rock solid on that. What hit me was, and it was this random like, see, your prayers don't work. And for like about two years, I really struggled to pray healing on anybody. That's where Satan works. He convinced me that God doesn't hear my prayers. And I know he does. And I don't understand a lot of things. And I don't think a lot of pastors tell you that. They always come out with like, bravado, like, let me tell you all the answers. No one has all the answers. But I know some things for sure. I know some, like some things are so rock solid. They have gone from knowledge to I know that the Lord has saved me. I know that he's blessed me. I know that even in the day of trouble, he will not abandon me. And so as we look at a lot of this stuff, that's, that's the, my heart. I was here on Monday and the Lord's like, look at the people in your neighborhood. Your church people need this. Because I can go through hard situations and we avoid them, but Jesus uses them. I know it's a hard truth. 
I have met older Christians who have gone through the suck, is what I call it. Like, just crap hit the fan, life fell apart, cancer hit, job loss, dead kids. And they'll go, I, know, I hated every second of it. On the other side, though, there's a faith, a perseverance, a hope that no matter what, they will trust the living God and follow him. All things work to good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but it's very, very true. So here's the question. God takes everything away from you tonight. Can you do what Job did? There, no, there might be some tearing of some robes and some head shaving and like losing a little bit of your mental sanity. But can you worship and fall down and go, blessed be the name of the Lord? Because some of us, we're walking around with a presentation of faith that's not faith at all because we actually have never dealt with our doubt, any suffering. And I think one of the most beautiful things about Christianity is, and I don't quite think it exists anywhere else on the planet is, in the midst of sorrow, joy. So during my dad's funeral, which took place right here, I was back there. And I was weeping because I said, God, I don't have enough strength to do this. I physically can't talk when I cry. And here's what I do, and I'm emotionally stunned, so don't be like me. I stuff for about a year. I just stuff all my emotions, right? And then about once a year, they just all come out. It's a lot of anger and crying and yelling and just, you're like, you're a mess. I am. I'm very broken. Emotionally stunted people? Cool, cool, cool. I just do it. And then I wait about a year, then I do it again. So I was back there. I was like, God, I can't. And I tell you, deep, deep sorrow. But in a moment, I heard the Father say to me, I'll go with you. And there was joy. I was weeping out of sadness for my dead earthly dad. But there was a joy that my heavenly Father hadn't left me for a moment. And he was going to walk up with me, and we were going to tell a whole room full of people that came to mourn my dad how much Jesus loved them. So you see, it's complex, is it not? But there's this beauty in not being a people. We hate mourning. We hate crying. We hate emotions. We avoid those places. And so not to get too heavy, I, I was once in a hospital room with Anna with a dead five-year-old in front of me. And all I did was weep. I just cried. And I was like, and I, and I ended up in a room with the chaplain. And I said, what do you say to these people? And you know what he said to me? Guy's in a wheelchair. He said, you don't say anything. You just sit. And I was like, that's good advice. So if we want to be Jesus people, we must learn how to weep and mourn. But also at the same time, God hasn't abandoned us, so there's a joy. We're the weirdest people on the planet. We're like weeping and wailing and sorrow has hit us because, yeah, like the New Testament Christians got fed to lions and you know what they're doing? Yeah! Weird, right? That's weird. They're going, oh, that we were counted equal to suffer with Christ. That's crazy. That's supernatural. That's God stuff right there. And so as I look at Job's life, I want to be like that, but I can't say I always have been. And since I just talked about sitting with grieving people, Job actually gets the same treatment. In, in the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, Job's three friends show up. And I have heard whole sermons on Job's friends. We're probably not going to talk about Job's friends a whole bunch because I don't like making theology off bad advice. Uh, but they show up, 
I'll give him that. And in chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, I, I struggle with this one, Namathite, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days, seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. So they actually seemed to be really decent friends out front, right? They sit, they weep, they tear their clothes, they are fasting, they're broken with their friend. They are weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. And then there's a shift that happens and they start talking and that's when it all falls off. And usually that's where we all fall off, right? Because we want to explain away. I'll tell you exactly what God was doing when this thing happened. Good luck. You know what I mean? And so there's things that happen that I don't have explanation for. I don't know what God is producing. And it's not even like 10 years later that I see it. And sometimes I don't even see it at all. And so what happens is they get into this kind of exchange where one friend goes and then they all kind of like pile on him and he's like, no, you're wrong. And then they do it again. No, you're wrong. I am righteous. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And it just kind of repeats until finally he's like, can you guys shut up? It's not helping. And they leave. And the point of this is this, is that they use all the modern or Old Testament wisdom of the day on Job. This is why this happened, Job, because God, this is the reasoning, God is just. Now that's a biblical truth. God is just. God is more just than you. God is more good than you. So God is just, and then they say, God is just, so he's got to be doing something out of his justice here, Job. You must deserve this. And then two, we know everything happens for a reason. What'd you do? Now, if you've ever hit suffering, those same thoughts hit your head. 100% of the time. What did I do to deserve this? What did I do? What did I not do right? Why is God displeased with me? Is he angry at me? And I think that is the Satan. That's Satan. Because one of the things he loves to do most is convince us God is not as loving as he is. That God is not as big or as in control as he actually is. He is the accuser and deceiver after all. And I think that actually points to his friend's advice and even our own internal struggles, what I think one of the biggest spiritual problems of all Christianity is. One of the biggest problems, and I see it, I see it in doubt, I see it in lust, I see it in apathy, I see it in all, all sorts of problems that are in, in, even in this room. We have a God who we treat like, so here's humanity, right? Here's how smart we are, how powerful. This is where we put God. Just a titch above us. He's just like a better, improved version of us. So when suffering happens, immediately when God is here, you go, he failed. He wasn't strong enough. I guess I deserve this. But that's not where God is. You don't, don't keep the God of heaven and earth small. He's bigger more glorious, more loving, more caring, more steadfast, more beautiful than I have words to explain to you. That's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible that we encounter is bigger and better than you and I have words to express. Therefore, the things that are happening in the earth to this day, 
the things in Africa that we talked about, the cancer that's maybe going to hit you in your life. God is bigger, holier, better working than I have words to explain. And that's okay, because he's God, and I'm not. The problem is, we love to explain stuff. And I think we like to keep God here so we can understand him. So we can control him almost. So the Old Testament idols, the gods of the Old Testament, lowercase g, they had fertility gods, and they had rain gods. They knew how to control them. You just have to sacrifice the right thing. For rain... Sacrifice a kid. You'll get some rain. For fertility, you have to do the right act. And I'm not going to talk about them because they're gross. You have to do the right things. Sacrifice the right animals. Do the right dance. Shimmy shake. You'll get your, you'll get your kid. It was all about controlling. But that's not the God of the Bible. He is the God above all gods. All the other gods of the earth are idols or demons. And so as you look at the God of the Bible... If God, your God, your view of the God of the Bible is small enough for you to understand, he's not worth worshiping. A God you can understand is not worth worshiping. A God that you can go, I got you figured out. If I fast and I say the right prayers, then you'll give me what I want. Blessing, wealth, health, and prosperity. That's a false form of the gospel. Well, we, that, and it's also like witchcraft saying the right words or incantations so I can get a deity to do what I want or a power. We have a holy, personal, living God who rules over all the earth and is at work in all lives so that he can do things that are eternal, holy, and beautiful that we can't even fathom. You belong to him if you're in Christ. So that means when the suck hits, when the life falls apart, when the phone call happens, when the car kills the kid, It'll hurt. What Christians love to do is go, it doesn't hurt, and it hurts. That whole like verse they love at like funerals, oh sting, where is your death? Or where oh death, where is your sting? I'm like, right here. There's the sting. And what we need to learn is how to do both. How do I have joy and sorrow? How do I mourn with those who mourn? Because I don't know about you, I still got some questions. Anybody else? I still got some. Why is there so much suffering in the world? I understand God uses it. That's the understanding. I can give you answers. God uses pain. Uh, Yeah. But why? Why so much? And even the concept of hell, like that's big in our culture today. People are challenging that. How does that match with this loving God thing? Because God is just. This is a, that's a different sermon. I mean, there's so many questions, and my hope today is not to help you breed doubt. My hope is for you to look your doubt in the face and go, what is God really like? So I told you already, like, the thing that Satan played with me was your prayers didn't work. And I couldn't, literally, I just physically was like, what good would it do if I laid hands on you and prayed for healing? That's where I was at. And there was a moment where I was just praying and I was like, Lord, I want to be your hands and your feet. And Satan, you're like, were you having a conversation with Satan? I don't know. He was accusing me for sure. And there was a moment of, I think, Holy Spirit defiance that rose up in me. And I went, shut up. And I said, 
because you took my father, I'll pray for every sick person I can find. I'll lay hands on every person, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I'll ask you to heal them, Lord. Satan never bothered me again on that topic. So some of this is, and I'm certainly not saying get rid of your job. Some of this is, there's a spiritual fight for your soul. And Satan would love to destroy you and make you doubt the love of God that is very apparent in Jesus Christ. Some of this, though, is you, you have doubt, you're just acting like you don't. Some of this, you are so hurt and bitter at God that you're running away from the very lover of your soul. And my only ask is that if we're running, we would turn, just turn. You don't have to run, just turn and be like, I don't understand. I don't understand dead kids. I'm like, that's what I said out loud on Monday. I said, baby shouldn't die, God. So that the sister of my, my neighbor that lost their kid was in my driveway the other day when I pulled in, her and her husband. I got out of my car and she buried her head right here and wept. And out of my mouth came what I, I think it was God's heart out of my mouth from the Holy Spirit. I said, Jesus, I thank you that you don't hate dark places and that you enter into mourning and weep with us. And that was it. And we cried and we wept. And I didn't have to give deep theological answers. I didn't have to explain it away. I didn't have to say, you know, God is good and he uses all things, even dead babies. I didn't have to say anything. I said, I thank you, Jesus, that your arms are strong and that you don't avoid us when this stuff happens. And so as I look at today, bring your pain points to Jesus. Bring your bitterness to Jesus. Bring your doubt to Jesus. Stop faking it. Stop putting on the fake grin. Stop running around like everything's good when it's on fire. Because God is bigger and better than we have made him. Jesus goes into places and he's, oh, I'm gonna show you one because I think this is where I'd like to end. Go to John chapter 11. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It also houses the shortest verse in the Bible. Anybody? Jesus wept. It's actually not true in Greek, if you want to know, but okay, cool. So in John chapter 11, you have a whole series of events happening. I think I'm actually going to read the whole thing. I didn't have time for a service. When I talk about things you can't know, and things you can know, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. If the world and suffering has told you that God is unloving and is judging you, look at Jesus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glo God's glory, so that this God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That whole series of events, I'm like, what? One thing is sure, Jesus loves them. Jesus loves Martha, loves Mary. And if you're a Martha in this room, Jesus loves you. Don't let them Marys tell you different. And he loves Lazarus, right? But then he waits. 
So he already knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to die. And he says the most peculiar things, like peculiar things to Job. Yeah, Satan, have him. Or peculiar things like, this doesn't lead in death, it leads to the glory of God, his death. But let's read on. Go to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I don't know why I'm crying, but I am. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think that's how she said it, how I just said it. If you had been here, that's how she said it. We whitewash it. Master, if you had been here. That's not. Women in agony over death don't talk like that. There's tears and there's snot. It's ugly. If you had been here, if you hadn't let us down, if you hadn't abandoned us in our hour of need, my brother, he'd be alive. Do you hear that? Do you hear the same accusations coming out of your mouth when the Job days happen in your life? Same exact thing. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And they have a whole conversation about it. So she gets heady with him. Like, I'm going to tell you, I know the resurrection. I know. And Jesus is standing in front of her going, you don't know. And so she goes away and gets married. Now, I think it's key, and I started crying with Mary because Mary stayed home. Mary did not run out to see Jesus, which you're like, well, this is all conjecture, and it might be, but Mary's the one that anointed his feet. Mary's the one that sat at his feet. Mary's the one that everyone's like, let's be like Mary. And I'm like, I agree. But Mary stayed. Could it be that Mary might be facing a little bitterness? And you see her response in verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So same thing, two different women, same accusation against God. You left us. You abandoned us. You failed us. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in verse 35, the famous verse, Jesus wept. Why did he cry? Why did he cry? I asked my, why did he cry? He knows what's happening. He knew four days ago, before that, what was going to happen. He told them it was going to happen. And then he sees two women who he loves and a whole group of Jews weeping over death and sin that has claimed his life. And he weeps. This Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is God in the flesh, correct? And Jesus weeps with those who are weeping and mourning. And I love the weeping God. I love that when I'm broken, he weeps. I love that when I can't see and I'm doubt, he weeps. I love this Jesus. Because this is the Jesus of the Bible. There is not another one. Satan would convince you. Why do you call him Satan? Dumb video. Satan would convince you. That in your moment of need, the same things that came out of Martha and Mary's mouth are true. If you had been here. 
But God's never left you or forsaken you. And his love and his care is better than even life itself. And so I want to I end with, with this, and then I want to end in some time of praying for each other. One of my favorite statements in the Bible is actually from a dad who brought his son to Jesus to heal him. And Jesus kind of challenges him and says, some, it's in Mark 9 if you want to read it, but the man says a statement that I think is okay to say because it's in the Bible. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. So I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you can heal. I believe, but help my unbelief. You ever been there? And if he could say it, I'm, I, I say a lot. I believe that you can, but help me, re- like help my unbelief. And I, what, I, what I see happening in this room today is the thing I feel like the Lord wants us to do, literally bringing those things to the Lord and allowing even that chance, that help, I believe, but help my unbelief moments, to heal. And I think it's primarily in three different ways. So I'm going to pray a really short prayer. And then I think, actually, Dallas, can you come up and play a little bit? Um, and when I say amen, a bunch of prayer counselors are going to come up here. And we're just going to pray for each other. Because I think so often when you're in one of these moments, you feel like the odd man out. You feel different and you feel singled out. But I'm telling you, if we're a family, I'll gladly weep with you. And I think there's three, three things. So the, the first one is this. Like if you're in this room and there's been infertility stuff, if there's been child loss, if you're grieving, I would count it an honor for us to be able to pray for you. Not as like, oh, let's cover over that or like, oh, pity. No, like to weep together and go, Jesus, can you heal this? Because I don't understand. That's okay. And maybe you're in this room. Maybe it's like a disease. I don't know what it is. Something with cancer or I don't know. You can even go so far as to say like depression and anxiety. So often we're going, why am I broken? Why won't you take this from me? And I just want you to hold that out in front of you. And be bold enough and courageous enough to be like, will you pray for healing for me? And I not run away from the one who can heal. Not run away from the one who actually understands more than any other human on the planet. And then finally, if you're just in here, and maybe it's, it's, it's death. Maybe that, 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 few, that you taking my dad, God, I, I can't trust. Like that, that you would hold that out in front of you and go, God, will you heal so I'm going to end that way. And then if you stay in the room, great. But this is just going to be a holy environment. And maybe you're like, I don't want to come up there. But if you came with somebody who's a praying person, ask them to pray for you before you go. We're just going to make this a triage unit for a second. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't run away from pain. You don't run away from the hard things. You enter into them. And I just thank you, God, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. You're patient, God, full of love, steadfast love. So this next minute, Jesus, would you heal? And even if it's in a moment or it's a process, God, where we come to you and we yell like with Job, like, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give, you take away, 
in sickness and in health. Like we, we're yours. And I just actually feel like, Lord, I just, I just rebuke the enemy. I rebuke Satan. Shut your mouth. We are children of God, provided for by the blood of Jesus. And I pray a cleansing in this room of freedom to come with wounds and baggage and not be ashamed. We run to you now, God. We run to you and not away, even in the stuff I don't understand. So Lord, would you come in with like a healing a healing balm to put on wounds, internal, external? Would you heal disease in the name of Jesus? Would you bind up broken hearts? So if you're a prayer counselor, can you come up? Can you just like kind of line up the front? And I don't care even if you're on schedule or not. We're just going to pray over each other. And if that's not for you, that's fine. You can leave here. At some point we might start singing, but I don't know if we will. I think we're just going to sit here and just pray for one another. And kind of even just fall before the Lord and go, hey, God, I'm, I'm broke. I don't understand. So Jesus, we give you everything. We love you.